a pretty exciting day for my family and I. Today is my oldest daughter, uh, Addison. It's her 10th birthday. So that's a, it's a really big deal. I'm sure you guys can remember as parents, maybe grandparents, a kid hitting that double digits. It's a big deal for her. And, you know, it's kind of hard to even fathom how I got here. I'm sure some of you can relate to that. It just seems like time flies. It's like a flash in the pan. And I remember, uh, it seems like yesterday, I was able to just hold her in one hand, and now she's almost as tall as I am. And uh, it just goes so quickly. And uh, I remember when she was a baby, I used to, I gave her a nickname, and I called her Honey Bear. And I still call her that. You know, a lot of people don't know that, but it's kind of this thing that we have together. And I used to call her Honey Bear because when she was an infant, you guys probably remember times like this, there was times where she looked up at you, and it was big brown eyes, and she seemed so sweet, and there was other times where she was hungry, or she had a full diaper, and she was ferocious like a bear, so she was my honey bear when she was a baby, and again, now she's 10 today, it's just hard to imagine. Um, A couple years went by, and we decided to have another daughter, uh, Grace, who turned seven 10 days ago, and you know, I thought I kind of had this thing figured out a little bit, we waited a little bit, you know, I figured things out as a parent, and, uh, but She's actually been really a challenge. You know, she gives us a run for our money. And uh, she's sweet as can be, too. But there's times where she's challenging. And I remember a couple weeks ago, um, I gave her what I seen seemed like a pretty simple instruction as a parent. You know, I told her it was time to get ready for bed. You know, go back and get ready for your bath. And the next thing I know, she was throwing her tablet down to the ground. She was stomping back the hallway. And she actually threw the, the toilet seat up. And heard a big bang go off, you know. Um, usually hear that when it slammed down, but she slammed the toilet seat up. And I thought to myself, you know, the way she was doing this, by all accounts, was obedient to her dad. But it wasn't very pleasing to mom and dad the way she went about it, right? And so this morning, as we continue to walk through uh, this book of 1 Thessalonians, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how there's a huge difference in simply being obedient to God and living our lives in a way that's pleasing to God. We're just going to go through um, about 12 verses here in the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Um, and we're going to look at this goal today. Our challenge today is to live a life that is pleasing in the eyes of God. All right. In fact, Jesus, who was also, you know, obviously he was our ultimate example in the book of John. He said this. He said, I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Everything Jesus did on this earth was not just obedient to God, but it pleased God. He lived a life that was pleasing to God. So this morning, my hope, my challenge to you is that we can learn to, to, to accomplish that ourselves. Not just to be obedient to God, but be pleasing in everything we do, that we please God. Would you pray with me here for a minute? Lord, I pray that my message this morning is directly from your mouth, and I pray that it pleases you this morning. I pray that there's uh, ears that need to hear, maybe in person or online, that need to be challenged by this message, that maybe they're just walking through the steps of Christianity and they're being obedient to God and they're checking off all the boxes, but are they really living in a way that's pleasing to you? So I pray this morning that, that, that our hearts are challenged, 
I pray that, that all my intentions are set aside and just your will is done here this morning and your voice is heard. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles back to 1 Thessalonians. Pastor Mark's been working through this for a while now, and he's, uh, you know, there's been times where I think he only went through like two verses the whole morning, right? We're going to do a little better this morning. We're going to go through 12 verses here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And if you have your Bibles open to that, I'm just going to start with the first two verses here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul writes, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God, as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. I love this challenge by Paul as he gets started. You know, he says, hey, you're doing a great job. You're being obedient to God. You're, you're living in a way that is pleasant to God, but strive for more in your life. Don't be complacent. Don't be satisfied with just living a life that's obedient to God, but strive to be pleasing in God's eyes. You know, that story I shared with you just a few minutes ago, I'm sure you could probably remember a thousand stories like it, similar to it as a parent, a grandparent, and an uncle, where by all accounts, you know, your child was obedient to you, but it wasn't very pleasing. And there's consequences for that type of behavior. There was consequences for my daughter Grace that night. This past year, if I'm honest with you, it's, it's, it's really challenged my ability to live a life that's always pleasing to God. You know, I've probably checked off a lot of boxes. We've accomplished a lot at this church this past year. We've, we've kept a lot of ministries going. We've kept our children's ministry going downstairs, uh, going and growing. But I'm sure my actions, my words, my thoughts have not always been pleasing to God. You know, I felt like I, I kept things good as far as being balanced between my church responsibilities and work and, and being a parent, being a husband. But there's times where I've been frustrated. And I'm sure you can relate to that. I've been frustrated with what's going on in our government. I'm frustrated with this virus that has been taking away loved ones from us. I'm frustrated about what's happening around the entire world, and especially with the people in Israel right now. And it's easy to get trapped into this feeling of, of helplessness and hopelessness. and Like, why isn't my obedience enough? Why doesn't it seem to be making a difference in other parts of the world? And while I may be obedient with my actions, my words, my thoughts are not always pleasing to God. I'm sure we can all relate to that this morning. So our challenge here is, is how do we, Lord, you know, how do we be obedient to you in all things? How do we be obedient to you in our words, in our thoughts, our actions? How can we be pleasing to you in everything we do? How can we live a life that exemplifies the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience, that's been tough this year. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do we please you, God, in all things when it seems like the world around us is the exact opposite of the fruit of the Spirit? This morning, we're going to walk through chapter 4. We're going to walk through 12 verses 
where Paul outlines three simple steps to help us live a life that's not just obedient to God, but pleasing to God. So let's pick up in verse 3. We just read the first two verses. In verse 3, Paul writes, God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in a holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins. And we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who lives, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. How do we live a life that's pleasing to God? Paul writes it here that we need to live a holy, pure life. We need to refrain from all sexual sin. Okay, and just for clarification's sake, maybe you're new to the church, maybe you're new to this church or our fellowship. Okay, this means the entire word of God. In fact, if you've been to our church for a while, maybe a lot of you have grown up in the Grace Brethren Church which now we, we call the Karis Fellowship. And if you've grown up in that church, you probably remember a saying. You probably could recite it pretty well. The Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. That's what we believe here. That's our authority over our lives. So we can't just take sections of the Word of God that doesn't offend us and put everything else aside and put it on a shelf to collect dust. We have to look at God's entire scripture, his instruction manual for our lives. And we've got to refrain from all sexual sin. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to where it all started. If you've been a Christian for a while, or maybe you're new to, the, to our faith, you know, maybe you've heard that we believe in a literal six days of creation. God created the entire world, everything we see around. What a beautiful day it is today. We see flowers blooming. We see the, the buds on the tree. We have nice, beautiful weather. And God created all that in six days. And on the seventh day, he took a break and he rested. And God, on that sixth day, he actually created man. And as good-looking as we were and as charming as we were and as manly as we were, we couldn't survive on our own. It's true. Couldn't make it. I'm pretty sure that Adam... Probably would have died of either starvation or dirty laundry. I'm not sure, but he couldn't make it very long. He needed a helper. And God hadn't created a suitable helper yet. And I want us to go back to Genesis and see how this unfolds. I want to just put your finger there in 1 Thessalonians and go back to Genesis chapter 2 for just a minute. Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 21, is where I'm going to start. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. And I love Adam's response. He cries out, at last. I don't know how long went by. I don't know how long he was suffering and trying to do this thing on his own. But 
He's exhausted, and he said, at last, thank you, God. You finally made someone that's suitable for me. He says, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, and she will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother, and he's joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. I love that response. This one is bone from my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is how God intended it. He didn't uh, stir up some more to the ground and make a woman. He made the woman directly from man. And Adam was pleased. Thank you, God. At last, you finally made someone that's suitable for me. It's my partner in life. You know, this is a big deal. This is a huge deal. And everything in the world right now is trying to tell you this is not the way it was planned out. This is not a big deal, but it is a huge deal. It's God's first union between a man and a woman. And it was so pleasing to him. Everything he created in those six days, he said it was very good. And yet the world's trying to tell us that it was a huge mistake. Or maybe it didn't really happen that way. Maybe it happened billions of years ago by chance. Right? But this is a big deal to us. If you're watching online, if you're in this room and you're, you're a youth, you're a college student, you're thinking about the next steps in your life, or maybe you have a child or a grandchild that's getting there, a lot of weddings going on right now. It's that season of the year. This is a really big deal. And I hope if that's you and you're starting to get in that phase of your life, you're starting to pray for that future husband, that future wife. Because this is not a union that should be taken lightly. You know, we celebrated Mother's Day just a few weeks ago. And you guys that are younger, you better praise God for your mom. Because mommy's not going to be around all the time to clean your clothes and, and make dinner for you. Have that bowl of ice cream ready for you before bed, right? Thank God for her, but also pray for that future husband. Pray for that future wife. If you're a parent or a grandparent, I hope you're praying over that for your child. They may not be in that person's life right now, but pray for them because this is an important union. It's how God created it. It's how God designed it. It's epic. And yet, our culture pretty quickly has shifted to think and instruct us and instruct your children that it doesn't, just have, it doesn't have to be between a man and a woman. It could be between a man and a man or a woman and a woman or a man and his golden retriever. That's okay. It doesn't matter. But this matters to us because this is what's pleasing to God. And who are we or who are you or who is anybody to question the authority of life, the creator of the universe, that he made a mistake? It's pretty clear in Scripture. God was very intentional. He caused the man to go to sleep, and he created the woman directly from the man. Everything in our culture right now is trying to question the authority of God. And it's of his creation. When it happened, how it happened, if it even happened. And it breaks my heart. I saw a commercial here just a few weeks ago. I think somebody sent it to me because I don't really watch TV anymore. But somebody sent this commercial for Pantene. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Um, Pantene, if you're not familiar with it, is a hair care product. You know, most of us have probably had Pantene Pro-V at some point for shampoo. 
but this commercial was heartbreaking to me. If you haven't seen it, I'm not even going to advise you to go watch it. Because this is what our mainstream culture and our media is pushing down and teaching our children today. It was a boy who appeared to be about maybe 12 years old. And they were celebrating his transition to being a girl at 12 years old. This boy was being raised by a lesbian couple that was an encouraging transition of a 12-year-old. And that breaks my heart as a children's pastor here, as a parent, as a, as a dad to two girls. I feel some sort of responsibility to help that child. My heart breaks for this generation that's growing up and thinking that this is right, this is normal. It's not. And that's why what we do downstairs in Grace Kids is so important. I hope that you would pray over that ministry because that's so important. This next generation of kids that's going to be the church is so important. That's why what you're doing as an aunt or an uncle or mom or dad, grandparent, is so important to the church. Because we need to train our children in the authority of the word of God. Not just some of it, but all of it. We need to teach them that the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible is the authority over their lives. And we don't have any right to question any of it. You know, God has chosen us to parent a generation that's facing probably the biggest challenge of our lifetime. And we need to raise them up to be the next Abraham, the next Esther, the next King David, Peter and Paul. We need to teach them the truth of sexual purity. That God created them man and then a woman from the man for a divine purpose, for a plan. And we need to teach them the truth of God's word and authority. And that's a big responsibility as adults. It's time to adult up as Christians, as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a big challenge that we're facing. Reality is our kids go to school, our kids are around their friends, they're probably with other people more than they're with us. But it's worth the challenge. It is so worth the challenge. Proverbs 22.6, you probably know this passage, you've probably heard it several times. It says this, direct our children onto the right path and when they are older they will not leave it. That's where my hope is, that's where... I have to go, I have to lean on that scripture for hope for this next generation because everyone and everything in their lives right now is trying to take them out, off that path of righteousness. Everywhere they go, outside of your home and outside of this church, is trying to teach them the opposite of the path of righteousness. So let's fight for them. We have to fight for them. We have a VBS coming up. There's going to be kids coming in from our community that have never been in this church. If you haven't thought about signing up or just being here as present, I believe in kids seeing godly men and godly women and the example that that leaves them, the footprint that leaves them in their hearts and their lives. Think about it. Pray about it. You can't be here that week. Just pray over that ministry. That's going to be so important to us. Important to the church. What else do we need to be on guard for when it comes to sexual sin? How about adultery? 
You know, once we're able to kind of steer them in the right direction, and they, they find that suitable mate and they vow to each other, that should be a permanent union. This was a pretty big deal to, to God. In fact, it made his top ten list when he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. In, Je- in Exodus 20, 14, it says, you must not commit adultery. And Jesus, our example, took it a step even further. When he said, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I mean, not just a physical act, but even a thought, even a glance. You know, I could be obedient to my wife and to God in our marriage covenant by not physically having an affair with another woman. But it would be more pleasing to God if I didn't look in the direction when that pretty lady walked by. It'd be more pleasing to God that I didn't go to that website that I know is going to get me in trouble. It would be more pleasing to God if I don't go hang out with that group of friends that I know is probably going to end up at the bar or the strip club on the weekend. Don't be satisfied with just being obedient to God. Let's strive to be pleasing in the eyes of God. Because God knows my actions, but he also knows my thoughts. I have a personal relationship with him. He knows where I go, where I'm at. He knows my thoughts. And he wants my thoughts and my actions to lead me closer to him, not farther away. That's why God gave us this. That's why God gave us this, and we got to believe in all the parts of it. Because this is our instruction manual for our lives. You know, God's not a party pooper. That's the way the, the culture and everybody wants to, you know, God just doesn't want you to have any fun. That's not what God is about. I'm sure, I'm certain of it, that when we get to heaven, it's going to be the biggest celebration, the biggest party with the best company that we've ever had. I mean, there's going to be fountains of Chick-fil-A tea everywhere. There's going to be Krispy Kreme donuts, all right? And it's a good thing that I'm not a musician because I probably would have wrote a song about that and Steve would be talking about it on Sunday morning, Right? That's how I envision heaven. That's how it's going to be. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. We're going to be praising God in worship all day long. God is not a party pooper. He just wants us to live a life that glorifies him, that's fulfilling for us. He wants us to live a life that's Jesus-centered, not self-centered. It tells us right here, if we go back to verse 3 in 1 Thessalonians, says, God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. That's how we stay holy. We stay set apart, sanctified, worthy of the kingdom of God is we got to refrain from sexual sin. Why do we do that? So we can have control over our bodies and our minds so we can live a holy and honorable life. Not like the pagans, not like the culture that's telling us this is right and that's wrong. Verse 6, it says, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. That's the main part, the main point here that Paul's trying to reach his church in Thessalonica right now, is that you guys have been set apart. You're holy. Don't be satisfied which is being obedient. 
Live a holy life, not a worldly life. Verse 8, he says, Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He, he gave his Holy Spirit. He provides you with wisdom and discernment. You know better because he gave you the Holy Spirit. So don't act like you don't know better. If you're a true believer, if you're a Christian, you know better. Lean on him. Lean on the Holy Spirit. Follow his ways. How do we live this life that's pleasing to God? Live a holy life. That's step one. Paul instructs us in two other steps here. The second one is found in verses 9 and 10. He says this. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so... Dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. God himself has taught you how to love. We're not talking about love. Uh, You know, that word gets thrown out a lot. There's a lot of different definitions of love. We're not talking about a lust over someone. We're not talking about we look at someone and visually they're appealing to us. We're not talking about uh, what you can get out of that relationship, okay? I love her because she makes a really mean pot roast. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about agape love. Love that is unconditional. Love that first loved us. Jesus-like love. How would God treat them? God would love them. Doesn't matter about their, your personal feelings towards them or them theirs towards you. Doesn't matter... Uh, what their political stance is, the color of their skin, their origin of their birth. God loves them all. Why does he love them all? Because he created them all. He designed them all. He has a purpose and a plan for them all. And they have the opportunity to accept their creator to live a life of eternity. And we have an opportunity to, to give them that knowledge, to share that with them. God loves them unconditionally. We don't deserve grace. Not one person in this room deserved it, earned it. But he went on the cross for it. He knows all of your dirty secrets. He knows all your dirty laundry. He knows every sin that you have in your life. And yet he still did it. He still went to the cross. And that's how we're supposed to love others. It doesn't matter what comes out of their mouth or what they say on Facebook or how many times they've been married and divorced. All that matters is that you love them like Jesus did. I want you to hold your place there. I want you to go back to the book of Matthew. We're going to look at the very beginning of the New Testament here. And get some wisdom from Jesus, our example. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. This is the kind of love that we need to have for others. As we're reading this, just think about how this could change our community, our world that we're living in right now. Jesus said this. He said, you heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How powerful is that? How how powerful, you know, what, what could we get? What could we experience if we prayed for everyone in our lives that's persecuting us? 
In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So if you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect. It's a big standard, perfect. Just like Jesus. We're to be like Jesus. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect, we're to be perfect. Now, that's not an easy task, what Jesus just outlined for us there. Seems like we have way more enemies than we have friends these days, right? But can you imagine just for a second if we lived that out? Just this group of believers, these Christians in this room or watching online, just loved first. And didn't allow everything else going around us to anger us, to frustrate us, to take us to a place we don't want to be, off the path of righteousness. Things that are the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. But instead, we just loved. This past year, more than any other year in my lifetime, for sure, that's been a challenge. It's been extremely difficult. But my experience has been when things get really difficult, if I lean on God in prayer, every time that I pray, God is faithful. He doesn't always answer my prayers the way I want, but he's always faithful to comfort me in my time of need. Whatever I'm coming to him with, he provides me with that sense of peace and joy. I can't control what decisions are being made right now by the guy that's in the White House in D.C. that affect things like abortion and peace around the world and what's happening in Israel, uh, gas prices and everything else. I can't, I can't do anything about the decisions that man is making, but I can do an action for myself, and I can choose to pray for that man. I can choose to pray for people, maybe even in my local community, in my school, that are verbally persecuting me. I haven't been physically persecuted yet, but maybe that's to come. I don't know. It's happening all around the world. It's happening to pastors north of the border right now. What's going to happen in those times? I can't control their actions, but I can control mine. I can pray for that individual that's persecuting me. I can show them the love and the grace that Jesus showed me. That I didn't deserve either. I can pray for those that are still dying to disease around this country and around the world. I can pray for those that are making bad decisions in their own personal lives. Because God's still in control. Nothing has changed about that. Nothing has changed in the word of God. He's still the, uh, the authority. He's still the author of life, the creator of the universe. Nothing has changed there except maybe my attitude and what I'm allowing the world around me to impact in my life. You know, it's pretty easy to get frustrated. It's pretty simple. It's not hard. It doesn't take much. It takes a lot more courage to just love. To just love. To love others like he loved us. And the things are so bad right now, and every time I spend time in prayer... God doesn't make things instantly better. We'd love for that to happen, right? We'd love for, you know, peace to break out around the world and everybody just comes to Jesus and I don't have to do anything about it. 
but he is always providing comfort to me in those times of need and prayer. He provides me with wisdom and discernment. In those times of need, you know, I'm, he, he provides me with wisdom that I just feel strongly that a revival's about to take place in this country at any minute. And we get to experience that. We're going to witness that. We get to teach the generation of the children that's going to have a big part in that. It'll be accomplished, not because of anything we're doing, but it's going to be accomplished through love, through godly love, agape love. God, Paul gave us a couple instructions here. He said, if you want to live a life that's pleasing to God first, you need to live a holy life. Stay away from sexual sin. Second, step two, is to love others like he did, unconditionally, love others. And in these last two verses that we're going to read... This morning, he's going to give us the third and final step. Verse 11, he said, Paul writes this. He says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. And Paul obviously didn't live in a time of social media, did he? Yeah. We try to mind our own business, and people are putting their business right in front of our eyes everywhere we go. So how do we live a quiet life like Paul is describing here in 2021? I think the main point that Paul is trying to make in these last two verses to this church in Thessalonica is what kind of witness are you going to be to the non-believers around you? He's not telling Paul just to stay away from everybody. Just go be a hermit somewhere. Don't, you can just, you're saved, you're good, you don't have to worry about anybody else. That's not what we're called to be. That's not what Jesus told us to do. He said to go make more disciples. We can't do that by sticking to ourselves and not going amongst the people. That's not what he's talking about here. In fact, he's talking about the exact opposite. He says that we can bring others along with us by the example that we set forth. Are we living a life that looks differently than the rest of the world around us? That people are going to question. Maybe they're not ready to accept Jesus just yet, but they're going to look at us and say, what is going on with that dude? Why has he got love and joy and peace and gentleness? Nobody else around me does. People should look at us and know without a shadow of a doubt that we are believers of Jesus Christ more evident than any time in my lifetime that you're a believer in Jesus Christ because the world looks at the polar opposite of it. We should look differently. We shouldn't be spending time judging people on Facebook or gossiping about our next door neighbor's affairs that are going on. We're loving others unconditionally. It doesn't matter what they're going through. We just love them. We just let them know that we're there for them. People right now in our world, in our community, in our country are searching. They're hurting. They're searching for something. They're searching for answers, looking for hope. And the only place they can find that hope is through Jesus. And we can provide that to them. Do we have all the answers? No. We don't have all the answers, but we know who does. 
we can lead them to that path of righteousness. We can show them the direction to the cross. We can embody as Christians, we should embody the fruit of the Spirit. Why does that person have peace and joy and love and gentleness and kindness? Because of the grace that Jesus provided us. Even if the people around us don't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. But we can provide it. And we can't provide it without the help of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. In our culture right now, in our country, and things that are going on around us, we cannot provide the fruit of the Spirit unless we're saved and we have the help of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen. So my challenge to you this morning as we begin to wrap things up, do you look different? Are you blending in with the rest of the culture and the world around you? Or is something different about you? When you go to your workplace or maybe your family, uh, maybe your neighborhood, does people know immediately that you're a follower of Jesus Christ because something's different about you? Do the non-believers that are in your life, maybe they're not ready to accept Jesus, but they see you're not angry, you're not frustrated. There's joy and there's peace in your life. When a pandemic hits our world like it has this past year, are we fearful or are we angry? Because that's what the world is. That's what the world looks like right now. We have to be different, and that's not easy. Jesus never told us that this was going to be easy. He never told his disciples it was going to be easy. We need to lean on him. Not just on Sunday mornings, but day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. He provided us the Holy Spirit for a reason, so we can go to him, get on our knees and pray, ask for wisdom and discernment. Do we love others first, or we put our own needs first? You know, Jesus was the ultimate example, right? That's what the standard we should be living up to. Our church, we say every week we want to live a Jesus-centered life. Well, listen, Jesus went out amongst the sinners. He didn't hang out in his house all day. He went from town to town to sinners. He went up and healed the sick, the lepers, who nobody else would dare come in the same room or the same building or anything with. He went up and touched them and healed them. His own disciples thought he was crazy. You're going to get sick. What are you doing with these people? He didn't care. because Why? Because he loved first. It's all about love. And he was, had a short ministry, but as long as he was here, he's taking people with him. People knew he was different. I'd love to say to you this morning that this virus is going to go away. Again, I'd love to say that peace is going to break over around the world. You know, that people are just going to come to the cross. It's just going to happen. But the reality is it's probably not going to get better. In fact, it could get a lot worse. Someone like myself preaching this message today could be thrown in prison. Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to put my safety and my health on the line and possibly even my life on the line because the message of Jesus Christ is that important? Jesus thought it was. He went to the cross. It has to be that important to us. It has to be that important that we save just that one soul that's maybe in this room, watching online, Maybe it's our next-door neighbor. Maybe it's at our work. It has to be that important to us. Okay? It, doesn't, it doesn't mean that we go 
and, and shove Jesus down their throat every day, but we better look different. We better look holy. We better refrain from sexual sin. That's what the world's doing. We better love others with agape love first. People will see that we're different. I don't know where you're at this morning with your relationship with Jesus, but maybe, just possibly, the reason why you haven't been able to find any joy or peace or gentleness in your life, maybe it's because you just haven't been willing to take that step and accept Jesus as your personal Savior. It's not that hard. He's waiting for you. All you need to do is confess your sins this morning. He knows all of them already. You can't hide anything from Jesus. He knows everything. Confess your sins. Say with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Savior of my life, the forgiver of my sins, the Savior of my soul, that one day I'm not going to perish, but I'm going to live eternally in heaven in his presence. I can't imagine what that day will be like. If that's you this morning, if you've made that bold step and you've accepted Jesus, if you're watching online, reach out to me. Stay after. I would love to have that conversation. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Text me, email me. I want to have that conversation. I want to follow up and glorify God that you're in the kingdom of heaven now, that you are a child of God. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, don't take another breath without doing that this morning. If you have, if you've already received salvation and you're still struggling with that hope and that joy and that peace, I want you to know this morning, you're not alone. I just shared my heart with you this morning and every Christian in this room and watching online has went through a season in their life where they've struggled. That's why we need each other. That's why the world wants to separate us. Keep us apart. Because we need each other. Jesus was the best example. And he had to take 12 men with him on his journey through life. We need each other. And we need to challenge each other. We can't be complacent on living an obedient life to God. we got to challenge each other to live a life that's pleasing to God. Listen, when you get to heaven... You get to kneel at the feet of God, and he says, well done. That's not a participation trophy. You lived a life that was pleasing to God. And that's our mission. That's our challenge this morning as we go, to live a life that is pure and holy and sanctified and set apart, to live a life that loves others first and not ourselves, to live a life quiet and different, and people will say, what's going on there? They may not know the path, but they'll be willing to follow us. Are you living a life that's pure and holy and righteous that others will want to follow? Let's earn that crown when we get to glory. I want to hear Jesus say, good, good job. You did well. Because our race isn't over. It seems like it should be what's happening around us, but our race isn't over. Let's finish it strong. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that.